Wolf Audio Systems offers a diverse line of media servers, but not much else. According to Joe Parvey, the company knows what it's good at and sticks to it. The multi-tiered, high-fidelity audio servers they make range from a slightly more than your average PC gaming desktop setup to a small skip and a jump away from the very top-tier offerings on the market. Joe joins us today to chat about what the company has been up to the past few years, what it's like growing up with an audiophile in the house, and the evolution of USB. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us so much today on the show. Joe Parvey, Wolf Audio Systems, the almighty servers, a, a relatively new company uh, on the scene, but they've had a couple of successful products and they have a couple of new ones coming out. So I just want to thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you, your your product line basically started with uh, the Alpha 2 music server. Can you kind of mm-hmm. tell us what inspired your uh, creation for that product? Uh, yeah. So we, back in 2013, 2014, uh, we kind of took a look at the products that were currently on the market, and we were looking at it from the perspective of uh, my father, who is the the audiophile that created my love for all things hi-fi, uh, was looking at a, pro- a product, and it was very, very expensive, and it did a couple of things, but did not take care of everything that a guy like my dad needed to get into digital audio. So we decided to try to build him something that uh, would do that. And, of course, the, the first couple of iterations did not sound good, did not uh, do everything we wanted to do, but we kept at it. And um, as we moved along, our, our system started sounding better, and we realized that we had the makings of uh, not only a product but a great company. Uh, we decided to incorporate in 2015 as uh, people got more and more excited about our products and started requesting. Um, we started selling we sold our first uh, big system in California in 2015 and incorporated then. So what what do you kind of feel is like one of, or what are the top like two things, three things that you feel makes a great music server? And how is that different from just, you know, streaming from a regular computer? What what elements kind of make your, you, the ways you design spectacular? Okay, so uh, first and foremost, the hardware Sometimes you can get really lucky and you can buy, say, a, a Dell laptop and it sounds good. Mm. But most of the time, people cannot just go and build a system and expect it to sound like an audio component. You have to pay attention to the hardware you're using, even the timings, and then the, the software that you're using, uh, the case and the materials, everything. You, a, a good audio product needs to be designed from the ground up in all aspects. The synergy between the parts. You know, we're highly selective of the RAM we use, of the base boards, the the processor, uh, the timings, the case, etc. It's all it all matters. That they're they all there are interdependencies that most people wouldn't expect. It all has to work. It it's it's all you know the, the greater parts of a whole. What kind of uh, vantage point do you take for power supplies in the design year? products power supplies are important the alpha 3 we have uh we're using switch mode power but we're doing a couple of things we've upgraded capacitors we are isolating it with still points uh feet Mm. uh there's a number of things that we do to try to clean up that switch mode power 
then in the Red Wolf, the higher-end server, we've gone and designed our own linear power system that sits at a separate chassis. Mm. Um, and that was, uh, we looked at other linear power products on the market, quickly eliminated them as potential systems and, and built our own. Uh, do the products have analog outs, or are they no. just a digital outs? Yeah, the... so so I would rather be friends with the DAC makers. Yeah. Than, uh, and, and really, if I went to create an analog out, I would probably be 18 months behind the curve the day I released it. Mm. So um, for the most part, we're focused on uh, USB and HDMI audio. Uh, we're looking at some spit of solutions, uh, but that'll be coming. What about I squared S? Do you guys look at that? Yeah. So we can do I squared S over HDMI or the RJ45 network port. Oh, that's, that's what you meant by HDMI? It's I squared S? It, both. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we also focus on multi channel audio. Um, okay. So with HDMI to, say, a receiver or a Trinov or data set, um, we're doing HDMI multi channel. We've just released a, a, a USB clock card uh, with an OCXO clock. I find myself uh, arguing a lot. Uh, the, the old 2005 notion that USB audio is bad, mm-hmm. I'm finding myself arguing against more and more because USB has gotten pretty darn good, uh, especially in the last couple of years. That old bias against it is a little outdated. Um, that, what, in your mind, how did that happen? What changed? Well, I think uh, it matured. Uh, so on the DAC side, on the server side, the connections, the way the cables are manufactured, uh, everything matured a bit mm. more. And so USB audio, um, I've heard network implementations that don't sound as good as USB in some cases. Yeah. And I've heard network that sounds better. Uh, it, it's all really dependent on uh, the DAC maker, the, uh, you know, the hardware. What do you think that a consumer should look at when they are evaluating a music server, only that with the digital output. Because there's a lot of options, right? There, you could do a lot are. of different things right now for that part of the chain. So why would you go with a music server, and how does it? How do they look at it? Like, okay, I got all these options. How do I evaluate aside from just listening? Let's talk over a spec sheet. Okay, so, and as far as a spec sheet goes, uh, that is kind, you know, a lot of these players on the market, they have, let's say there's 20 total boxes, and a lot of uh, server player makers are going to have, let's say, a good eight of those 20 check boxes checked. Uh, so some makers are the first eight. Uh, the next one is the bottom eight selection. Um, w- we at Wolf, we try to encompass as many of those check boxes as possible mm-hmm. in, the same, uh, in the same system. First and foremost, power. So building, building a system that's going to survive... Uh, f- say, three to five to seven years. Uh, yeah. what, what's coming next? Uh, DSD-512 is, is now here. Uh-huh. DSD-1024 is on the horizon. Um, from my perspective, yeah, I want a powerful machine that's going to last for a while, that's going to take care of everything that's on the market today with no hesitation. Um, so speed, power, capability are all kind of cornerstones to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of things with ARM chips uh, the, and the the simple digital audio players that we're after the raw power. I'm, you know, we were, historically I was an overclocker as a kid. I, mm-hmm. I, I like powerful systems. I like systems that can do whatever the the heck we want. Definitely, power supplies have a, have a high impact. 
Do you guys have any type of um, preference for silicone, like d- design elements within the structure, uh, isolation? Does that does that play a large role too, or isolation is very important? We're we've played with uh, and implemented still points technology. We're doing some pretty cool things with Teflon in places that you might not expect huh. to isolate and and create a, a, a dielectric uh, between the motherboard and the case. Damping materials to capture some of the uh, errant. Uh, electromagnetic and radio frequencies, you know, being generated by uh, components. Uh, we're looking at it from a completely holistic view uh, of the entire, dig- you know, chain of digital audio. Did you guys uh, tinker with MQA playback at all? Yeah, we we do, and uh, so our systems, of course, run Rune, and uh, so with Rune and their MQA implementation, you get the full unpack. Now, Media Center, uh, Jay Rivers software, which we took and we, we've played around with J-River and we've made some back-end edits and some front-end edits. And so the version of J-River that we ship is a little bit more ours uh, than the one you would download and install from jriver.com. That will do the first unpack. So say you have a 2448 file, uh, it'll present to the DAC as a 2496. Uh, with Rune, it would present as a 24192 because you have that second unpack. Um, so yeah, we're fully MQA compatible uh, from a hardware perspective, and then depending on the software that you're using. Do you guys dabble with uh, Cobuzz as well? Then oh or? yeah, would well, yeah. you have a preference between the two? Between Cobuzz and Tidal? Yeah, Cobuzz's American database is maturing, and I'm finding more and more on it every time I go and listen. Um, from a company standpoint, I really like what Cobuzz is doing. Hmm. Um, I like how uh, one, I love David Solomon. Um, I like, you know, his, <laughs> it's so funny. You say you're not the first person to say that to me. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and David's a Southerner. Uh, so David's from Atlanta. I'm from Jacksonville. Yeah. So we're actually, uh, he and I have very similar worldviews. If you have the sublime, uh, that they're subsidizing some of your purchases, if you're purchasing high res audio from them, mm. um, you know, the $10 album, but, uh, that's what it costs when you're on the sublime plan. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they subsidize some of those costs. Uh, I think that's a brilliant business model, and I'm really surprised that Tidal um, did not do that. So I personally, I like Cobus. Have you heard any sonic differences between the two? Yes, I have. Most In most cases, I have been more impressed with Cobus's sound quality than I have Tidal's. Yeah. You know, I say this in a, in a lot of podcasts, but a lot of things contribute to the uh, output, the final thing you hear, right? So mm. it's not, it's, there's no hard and fast. I like to put things into boxes to make them easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And there are trends, but, you know, a, a lot of, I've heard, I've heard it go back and forth depending on the system. So I've right. heard uh, Kobez sound better, and I've heard heard Title. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying one or another is superior. I right. just I just heard different things in different systems at different setups. So right. that being said, I, I just like to ch- kind of ask people because it's one of those things that's out there right now, and I like what both people are doing in the space. I think Kobuz is more in tune with what we as audiophiles are into. Mm. Um, anyhow. Uh, and, and I'm asking you a question here. Sure. Uh, I've always kind of envisioned, uh, you know, how Netflix, if you, ha- if you have bandwidth contentions, you're getting a lower resolution image file. Um, is, uh, do either one of them have, have you noticed that there seems to be, you know, if you have a network contention, that the, the actual quality of the audio seems to go down? Or is, um, 
because I felt like that happened on title. Mm. Um, but I think Kobuz is is cashing better or something so that we're you know I don't know if the if either of them want to keep the music playing so they might drop it down to sixteen forty four if you have because they don't want to have gaps in the audio, they want to keep the music playing. Mm. That's something I've been interested in wondering, you know, does anyone know if that's happening? Yeah, that's a great question. I can probably pose it to those guys because I don't actually listen on really bad bandwidth very often, but I right. would love to know because I do know that and like mm-hmm. in the direction we're moving anyways, I mean, that is, it's always going to be a thing, I think, unless you're in like a really high... Uh, dense, densely populated metropolitan area where you get perfect right. service everywhere. Even now in the car, the obstructions from trees and such. And this is the way we're going, right? Streaming is the way we're going. It's going to, I don't know, maybe replace terrestrial radio. Maybe it will always have it. But yeah. eventually when the infrastructure is solid enough. So yeah, it's a great question. Like, is it how how does each company handle a bad signal? And right. It just, how do they buffer it? And Right. Yeah. The thing I would just point out, though, is like in a car scenario, it's not exactly, it's important to have great quality sound, but it's also, I don't think, the best place to evaluate sound because of all the external noises and the car has noise. And I don't know if it's it's an essential listening area for the absolute of high fidelity in that scenario. But like definitely if you had spotty stuff in your house, that would be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I will say that, you know, I have, I have three small children, six, four, and two, mm-hmm. and uh, my six-year-old can... So my wife always drives around with Pandora. I guess that she knows how to use it. It's got the algorithm that keeps the, the radio playing, mm-hmm. and so she hasn't really played with Cobuzz. You know, we, 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 I put it on her phone. I urged her to use it because I wanted her opinion and, you know, whatever. Uh, so it's only when I get in the car and we're riding around with the kids together that Cobuzz goes on. And my six-year-old said recently, "Daddy, this sounds way mu- way better than uh, than Pandora." And so there was some validation in that for me because uh, you know my daughter is being raised in the audiophile lifestyle, just mm-hmm. like I was, and it, it was a it was a proud moment when she, when I you know when she said, "This sounds a heck of a lot better than when mommy plays it." Mm. So, uh, what do you kind of feel like that journey is for someone who j- is just discovering? Things on that level because, you know, I've heard uh, and I've mentioned this in other podcasts that their kids for a while when Napster became really popular, mm-hmm. all they ever heard was like really, really horrible files. Right. And that's what they were raised on. So they pulled them after this time period and said, hey, what does which sounds better? And they would pick the lower bit rate because that's what they were used to. What they were used to. Now, after that conditioning wore off, and they were like, no, but check this out. And, and the differences were pointed out to them. Right. They eventually you know, came back to the middle. But what is it like for your daughters right now in this kind of discovery period? My daughter, my six-year-old, has, uh, has gotten the full, you know, sat down on my lap in my stereo room, and I've asked her, okay, where's the person singing? Where's mm. the drummer? So I've taught her soundstage in depth and how to identify, and, uh, you know, terms like strident. And so she's gotten a little bit more of a technical education. Um, but any of these children, and you have to, you have to realize, most of the people, uh, most of my friends and the, the parents of kids at, at my daughter's school their only method of listening to music is an Amazon Alexa. Yeah. So anytime that I'm around and, you know, I'll, I'll take a great stereo to their school and play it and everyone is just shocked. 
you know, absolutely shocked. I didn't know music could sound like this. Yeah. You know, my uncle used to have a stereo, but I haven't seen a stereo. What is it like having a ch- a child? Like, what's their mentality like that has been raised in an environment where music is on call? I find that to be so crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, I've seen the progression of technology over my very extended life. And and I look at the young kids now, and they just say the song they want to hear, and Alexa and plays it, and it's That's right insane. there. Insane! It it is. It it's potentially damaging. Um, In what way? Well, the, the that it's Alexa that's providing it. You know, the um, just like you said, kids who grew up in the Napster uh, period and and prefer that low res audio, uh, they're probably getting the same thing, and and so. You know, American Pie, uh, the song, not the movie. Uh, <laughs> the music and the words and everything. I feel like it must, it might, they, it might not mean as much to them because they don't hear. You know, they're not getting the full emotion that a, a true stereo. And so they're hearing these songs, but they're not really. It's they're not internalizing a lot of the things. That's interesting because maybe, um, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth here, but. Maybe one way to think about it is that it doesn't sound like real life enough, so right. it's it's hard to or it becomes static in the background. Something that's just like oh this thing, but it's so far away from reality at that point that it's it's long harder to internalize, harder right. harder to relate to or connect to it on some level because it's it's just like a buzzy thing that buzzes on the counter or Alexa plays right. it and. The little hockey puck one, I personally don't think sounds very good. Now, I I have reviewed the larger ones, and mm-hmm. they're you know they're decent on for like a like a small low end bump that's like a little bit whatever, and then there's no you know body to it, no mids, right. but it's it's more listenable, especially if you want to dance to it. But the the puck, oh my gosh, yeah, is that the one you have? Yeah, that's what, yeah. yeah. And my and I, to be honest, my friend has one of those too, and I've seen. <laughs> his daughter requests the same song from her for like an hour straight. Oh yeah, Alexa play uh, Lady Gaga. Yeah, like, like that. But I'm, and then I come back like into the kitchen an hour later. She's listening to the same yeah. song. So I'm just like, yeah, I've I've lived that as well. She'd do very well at an audio show. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> she, she just needs to ask for Keith Delgo, and it'll yeah. be a, she'll fit right <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. Oh, that song. Oh, I've I've deleted that from most of my playlists. Like you will not find it on my servers, even the ones that we lend out, and I'm not in the room. I just it, it's not even an option anymore. It's very funny because it's such a cliche, but I literally just had someone play it for me, like at mm-hmm. the last show. <laughs> I thought it was like such a cliche that people didn't play it, but I guess it's never gonna. That's never gonna happen. No, I mean, it, there's a reason why it's played. You know the it. it and what do you th- what do you think is the main reasons that particular song is played so much, or uh, the most? I would say. So you know the the roundness, and I'm kind of moving my hands in a spherical, but the roundness of the guitar picking. You know, there's uh, you know, you know that there's a. To me, a, it's a, a very texture it's a very direct it. sound. So, like, it's you know, plugged in. Yeah, it, it could be a blend, but it really feels like a pickup sound yes. from an acoustic guitar. Yes, which is if if you're it, this is, might date me, but Dave Matthews had that sound too, and mm-hmm. he kind of like did his thing. It's not yeah. mic'd externally, and right, and but it's got like a little bit of chorus on it, I believe, mm-hmm. and it sounds it's it's right there. It's right there when you listen to it. It it you know when you have a when you have a, a full range pair of speakers, it's a good song to really show the dynamics of a of a great system. Um another one that I'm Peter Schneider and the Stimulators. Uh mm-hmm. it's called St. James Infirmary. Come down to my room, uh 523, I'll play it for you. 
uh, it is in danger of quickly becoming an overplayed track. And why is uh, that? What makes that track such a great track to listen to, to evaluate yourself? Uh, it's like Louis Armstrong meets... Uh, uh, it's got a bit of, of New Orleans jazz. It's got a bit of... Uh, it's just a great track. I, I, I can't put it any other way. And it, and it evolves, and it goes from a bluesy jazzy to a rock number and back. And mm. um, great instruments, great voicing. Hugh Masekela's Stamella from the, the album Hope is another one. Uh, some of these, uh, the, the hi-fi tropes, the audio show tropes mm-hmm. that were, you know. So you, don't st- so you personally don't stay away from those at the shows? You're not I, aggressively going against those? You're, no, no, because I'll, I'll play them. them and they have their place. They all have their place. Um, and, you know, any of these songs are great the first 30 times you hear them in a weekend. <laughs> Uh, I, lo- I love the fact that you got to 30. Wow. Yeah, well, and, and you will. You'll hear, there are certain songs you'll hear 30 times in a weekend. And uh, it's because they're they're so good at showing off a great system that we're kind of stuck with them. Um, I feel bad for Diana Krall. I, I think everybody wishes they could hear Diana Krall at the shows, and they go home and they listen to Diana Krall, but you're not going to hear her uh, too much in this day and age. I mean, she it's kind of become a, a, a kind of like a byline that, you know, uh, Diana Krall is a bit overplayed at, at hi-fi shows right now. So you f- you feel like the the tidal wave of Diana Krall had its day, and we're seeing the. I think we're back I think we're it. in the surf. You know, I think it's it's <laughs> kind of tumbling. Uh, you know, that avoid Diana Krall right now, and then next year someone's going to say, you know what, this is a great song. It's Diana Krall. I'm going to play it. L- listen to how good it is. If you disagree, you know, screw you. This is a good song. What What about Hell Freezes Over? with the Eagles, uh, Hotel California. Where do you feel we currently stand on that song? Are we in the thick of it? Are we done with it? I think that we're, I think we're past it a little bit. I think the guys who come in and request it are unapologetic. You yeah. know, and they're, yeah. you know, it's like, you know what? It's a good song, and damn it, I want to hear it. It's how I evaluate a track when I go to a stereo shop, and that's what I want to hear. And I, and I don't... I, and I personally don't fault anybody. For, I know it's tiring, but I mean, the story I've, I've given before is that I, I've been at a hearing a really good stereo that I know I've seen the sim, a similar setup, and, but the track sounded kind of weird. And I was mm-hmm. like, this, this system, I don't know, I expected more from this. And I went to the guy, and the guy was like, oh, this is someone's track that they brought in that was like a bad quality. So mm-hmm. the inverse of not having a great track is that someone might come in like you know me or anybody who wants to look at the system and they're not getting a, a like a, a unknown source like an unknown place where the music comes from where right. this guy just brings it in on a stick yeah can be really bad for everybody involved it's not yeah. like an awesome deal because if it's like a weird especially if it's on a digital stick you don't know yeah. how it was yeah. got, it got there i mean if right. they bring in vinyl i don't Pro- i don't really see guys you, you guys walk around with records i don't know yeah the, yeah we do there are some guys and uh how do those guys react when they come in your room in terms of digital? How's that, what's the attitude like towards digital from a record-toting guy? So occasionally, uh, and I, I love it when this happens, you have the analog is king. You're not ever going to tell me anything different. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Florida show, we did this. I have um, uh, a VPI turntable that's one of the bespoke primes that mm-hmm. wrapped in leather. It's beautiful. Cool. It's It's very sexy. And so... At the Florida show, we took uh, an Alpha 3 and that turntable with an Air Phono stage, and uh, I had uh, Shelby Lynn, uh, you know, the Dusty Mm -hmm. Springfield covers uh, album, and I had it on DSD for digital, and I had the 180-gram vinyl. And 
we faked the guy out. We, 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 I, I, I made it look like I had put, you know, put it down. He thought he was listening to the record, but he was listening to the DSD. And, uh, I think Larry Smith of Wireworld was in the room when this happened. Uh, and he said, no, this is what it's supposed to sound like. This is, you know, this is why analog is always going to be king. Oh my goodness. And we, he didn't know. I didn't. I didn't say, "Aha, <laughs> Sharad, you are." No, no. Did, did you let him walk out of the room thinking, or did you tell no, him? No, he walked out of the room thinking that he listened to the vinyl record, and it was the DSD version, and it sounded damn good. And so that's uh, kind of a testament to what we do and to the recording that it can people can be fooled. I, I think analog and digital are at a point of convergence where some of the warmth and everything that people said they hated about. Digital, I think we're getting past that. We're we're at, on the cusp of it, and I and I don't disagree that during certain time periods in digital's history, it it didn't sound good. I think there's no. a consensus yeah. that when the CD like first kind of came out, and the, the players, not necessarily the recordings, right, they weren't super awesome, right. Like, well, it's, in terms of just sound quality playback, they they were functioning machines, but they just right. A little lackluster when it comes to audiophile, you know, requirements with the things they want. But that was a long, long time ago. Now, we're, right, we're thirty-five know, plus years. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, it begs the question: How'd that gramophone sound versus a VPI turntable? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, so of course it's going to sound like shit the uh, you know the first couple of tries. Um, yeah. That's why you, you don't buy like the first two model years of a new car. Yeah. So yeah, I think you know CD quality has gotten uh, has gotten better. Even CD players, T plus A's SA CD player, Esoterics, Air's got a new version out. You know it, we're we're getting better and better, better DACs, better transports, everything. Um, do you think that the CD? How how long do you think the shelf life for a CD is gonna last? Is it gonna last? Is it gonna? How about this? How, is it gonna have a resurgence like the record did someday? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because file based audio. You know, if if anything, you, you can look at iPod destroyed hi-fi in one of two ways. Uh, it introduced the world of file-based audio, but it made audio a solitary pursuit. That's a right, problem. Right, I agree but, with that. But it introduced us to file-based audio where uh, we suddenly realized that m- the media was not important. You can get a $5 thrift store turntable that is going to turn that record and the needle is going to transmit... I don't know if you can get you're going to end up being able to get a five dollar thrift store CD player that's going to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a tough one. Yeah. Well, I I don't I'm not so sure about the CDs shelf life. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that the file based idea. I, well, <clears throat> let's just take that idea and extrapolate to to actually downloading a file. How do you long? Mm-hmm. How long do you think we're going to have downloadable files, or are we just going to drift off into, into streaming? streaming as the only option? I think that there are enough people in this world who have a limited edition, obscure label CD that never that's never going to make it to a streaming platform that I think even if it's file-based, somebody's collection is somebody's collection. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be those people who, these are my files. And these are, you know, if they're out in the middle of the desert with a, with a, a digital audio player and no signal, uh, they're, they're going to want their music. 
Yeah. Um, likewise, I think that the question is going to answer itself if, you know, and God forbid, Title or Kobos, one of them goes belly up. Suddenly, all those playlists that you've made over the years, uh, what do they mean to you? But if you have a hard drive and, a, you know... A, a, yeah. The non-permanence of the, of the service is it, it, being delicate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even if it's file-based audio, you own the file, you physically have the file on a drive... Uh, as opposed to counting on some, you know, uh, CEO or finance department to keep a company afloat. Yeah. Well, isn't that really? I think it's multiple things, but the resurgence of vinyl is partly anchored in that idea that we're living in a, such a non-tangible world in so many respects. Yes. That the tangibility of a record, even though the inconvenience is so high, is, right. is worth. It brings joy, right? Oh, it's certainly. It's like that lady who likes to organize things. It sparks joy yeah. in people because. Everything now is is nothing. There's you know there's no tangible touching of of hardly anything. They, and I said this before, and I'll say it again. The kids these days apparently they don't go out as much. They don't techno- because of technology. Yeah, they don't party as much because of technology. And which is a, a, a weird metaphor for the very idea of the pot of the of the iPod that you described. We are pulling ourselves away from connectivity in music. And that's why I thought when you said you, it, this thing is detrimental to the listening because no longer do things sound real. Right. As a society, we're living less and less in an old school way, at least of thinking of the real right. world on many levels. Yeah, that, and you know, that's true. And I, had, I, hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it. Like, I, I feel like uh, my kids are more enlightened than I am. And mm-hmm. we don't let them... So. Well, uh, there's, they have this mantra that they repeat. I think they have to do the, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, but then they also have this other thing that they say every day that uh, everyone matters. It is important to be kind. It is, I, I'm noticing, like, Friday night, you go out to the beach in my town when I was growing up at 18 years old, uh-huh. and it, more than likely, you or someone you knew was going to either get in a fight or get pushed around, and there was some violence in it. And and all of the things that we grew up with are like abhorrent behavior to to these younger generations. There's there's just a more niceness or a, a world a, a consciousness to them that they're more polite, they're more uh, feeling perhaps than we were as kids. It's very it's very interesting. Uh, and obviously, I'm happy for my kids to be more polite to people in general, perhaps than I was. Any kind of parting comments you like to go with on the way out here? So what we've done is we've taken the Alpha 3, and in looking at and planning the roadmap for our products, uh, we started collaborating with a couple of other manufacturers, one of whom is Still Points, the other is Exemplar Audio. Uh, Still Points and Exemplar, both uh, brilliant companies, brilliant designers and engineers behind them, and also uh, Wolf owners. Um, They have Wolf's in their house, and so we all talk a lot, and we said, how can we make these products better? Uh, still Points, of course, said, well, use Still Points products, and Exemplar said the same. Uh, and, and we said, okay, but what is that going to look like? And so we spent about six months uh, playing around and, and saying, what, you know, where's the best, mo- where's the most cost-effective benefit to implementing your products into one of our, or many of our servers uh, that's going to produce the most performance? Uh, one of that was isolating the power supplies from the case with still point standoffs. 
and then leveraging some of Exemplar Audio's uh, grounding technologies and RF and EMI uh, absorption technologies. Uh, so the Alpha 3 XS platform server is an upgrade uh, that we're going to be releasing to consumers in the next three months or so. And then we're going to take that technology up to the Red Wolf uh, and going to take it down in a limited way to the Luna platform as well. That's what we're pretty focused on in the here and now. Um, we're looking at what we're nominally calling the Dire Wolf, which is uh, the uh-huh. big... <laughs> The big server, uh, uh, the, the, the big boy, the high-end, um, super powerful Xeon processor, uh, you know, run your own home, precursor to Skynet, big server. <laughs> um, and that, that's for after the dire wolf, it's called Skynet. That's yeah, really that, funny. Yeah. I'm surprised I haven't heard that before. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> this, well, this music server is called Skynet. Yeah. Become, well, be careful when it becomes self-aware. <laughs> Imagine the possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to get a. Uh, I'd really like to get a at about the two thousand dollar price point. I mean, that's that's an all important price point. But w- it, it's tough because we have a different mode. We have a level of support that we offer, and we're engaged with our customers on some level. We know a bit about every one of our customers, and at the two thousand dollar price point, it's really hard to build our support model into something at that price. Mm. Uh, and I don't want to send a Wolf product out into the world and not be able to stand by it, not, and for that person not to be able to call me or Chris or Brian or someone, uh, yeah. you know. Um, so we're trying to figure out at two, at the two K level how can we make ourselves available. Um, so that's that's something I'm I'm working on. Yeah, and I just like to point out to the listeners that the when a lot of times when those guys dissect, oh, the sum of the parts don't equal this price tag that I see. One of the things that people that you brought up—that's a great point that people never see and it's never accounted for—is service. There's mm-hmm. a cost. You have to pay people to answer the phones and stay there and answer the phones, and that is a cost to the company. That one that's greatly overlooked on sure. so many of those breakdown kind of videos and just the way people look at cost yeah. analysis. So, yeah. well, and and so we have what's called the first time setup, and so someone orders a system from one of our dealers. Uh, if they call us directly, and there's no dealer in their area. Uh, we say, what kind of DAC do you have? Uh, is there a TV in this room? Is there a receiver in this room? And we build a custom configuration for each person, for each wolf. There is a script of, you know, everything has to be satisfied. And then when it gets to your house, you call us up. We log in. We share the screen. We spend an hour or two. When we do the dog and pony, we show you how to do things. We answer questions. And then we expect to talk to you again. Maybe up, you know, I've had I've talked to someone ten times in one week. Mm. We try to avoid that, mm. but uh, there's a level of support that we offer that you're not going to find uh, much anywhere else in the audio world. And so there is, yes, there is a cost component to that. Sure. So. Yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs>